Prepare, respond, serve. This is the Five Stone Podcast, where the Five Stone Pro Staff brings you years of real-world professional experience from the front line. Let's do this. Guys, we're back at it again with another Trauma Talks. Again, if you're not familiar with these podcasts, it's a new series that we just started, and it's to uh, relay the information and the trauma that's seen and witnessed by your first responders, your frontline, your medical providers, dispatch, uh, military, law enforcement, to uh, let the people out there know on the front line that you're not alone, that we have done it with you, we suffer with you, and we understand. And to the people that we respond to for maybe PTSD, depression, suicidal ideations, things like that, that you're not alone. Because the front line suffers daily by the things that we see recurrently all the time. And we're here for you, okay? So uh, this is something to kind of give people something to relate to and to give some outreach options if you are suffering yourself. So uh, this is kind of really hard for us to tell these stories because it's real life. There's no filtering this out. This is... So that we have seen and done and lived with, and um, so you all can understand what your frontline responders do every single day. So with that, this is a personal story of mine. It's going to be very hard for me to even get through, but I'm going to do my best and try to get through it. I also want to say that uh, this episode is sponsored by the Kentucky Brotherhood Ride. I want to thank those guys for what they've done uh, for the um, fallen heroes here in Kentucky. It's a group of individuals that ride throughout the state of Kentucky on bikes. These are like crazy athletes, triathlons. They got local firefighters, whoever rides in these events. And they just rode like 400 miles across the state of Kentucky uh, to raise funds to give to the families of fallen heroes. So it's a really awesome event. So if you're interested in donating to their support, then uh, you can check them out, uh, Kentucky Brotherhood. And um, they got a website there. You can donate there directly. Or if you get our five stone coffee then we take part of the proceeds and donate to them too so anyway it's a good cause so shout out to those guys all right guys this is trauma talks i'm gonna try to get through this do the best we can we got chris and renee here with us again on this podcast and again it's gonna tell a story and then maybe have a little discussion afterwards and we're just gonna we're just gonna wing it here we go so this was called keep the body warm for mama hard enough title <laughs> to even get through this but Keep the body warm for mama. So I've written this down. I'm going to try to pretty much going to read off this paper uh, because it's going to be hard for me just to tell the story and not forget stuff. So as I wrote it down, stuff started coming back to my memory that I blocked out. I didn't even realize I blocked out. So it was one of my first times working as a nurse. I've worked all over the state of Kentucky, uh, but uh, I was working as a nurse and fairly new nurse working in an emergency room. And I hear the tones go off. And they're responding to EMS is going out for an unresponsive baby. And the grandparent was doing CPR. So I had CPR in progress by the grandparent. So deep inside, I knew it was going to be okay. It had always been okay. I'd worked as an ER tech for several years and now a nurse. And these kids are so resilient. It always worked out and they were always okay. I hadn't seen any babies that didn't come in okay. After all, the grandparent was probably just overreacting, in my opinion. You know, I thought, you know how they do. The kid was probably febrile or having a seizure or sick or something, not responding. And everybody's probably just freaking out. At least I hoped. I convinced myself that it was all going to be okay. So when EMS was en route, they called and reported and said the CPR was still in progress. And they were coming in code three, which is lights and sirens, emergency traffic. So 
this just got real all of a sudden. So my stomach flipped, nausea set in, I became very anxious, and I started to get ready the equipment needed to run a pediatric code or to do resuscitation for a, a pediatric patient. But more so, I was kind of getting my mind ready. I was trying to get ready, preparing my eyes for what I was getting ready to see and experience, right? Because I'd never seen it before, and I was absolutely not ready. <laughs> I was fixing to see and take care of a dead baby. So the stretcher seemed a whole lot bigger than it ever had before, right? The ER's full of the same size stretchers, and it just looked so much bigger, this little baby sitting on it. I can't even remember the age of the kid. I really don't want to. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I can't remember. Maybe it was a toddler. I don't know. A few months old. I don't know. But it really don't matter. It, it just barely took up any space on that stretcher. And, and it didn't even look real. Right? Like, I reacted as we were trained, started doing chest compressions. And I got big hands. And I can remember wrapping my arms around this kid and moving it and stuff. And, like, doing CPR on this baby, you know, the thumb technique or the two fingers, you know, and I'm just like, man, my hands are so big for this little thing. You know, it was like I was touching the baby doll. <clears throat> Didn't seem real, so I pushed on the chest. They intubated the baby, had the tube down the throat going into the airway and the lungs, and they were giving it ventilations, you know, and then I was doing CPR or doing compressions. So I kind of realized that, like, at that point that this is really happening, like, Nobody could get an IV in this kid. I was like the only thing keeping blood flowing in this body. Right? It was it was me. It was just me pushing, was circulating the blood to this to this body. They couldn't get an IV, and so uh, you know I'd heard about it, but I've never seen it done as a new nurse. So they put the IO in, which is a needle that goes into the bone. And disturbing as it is, anyways, you do it on a baby, it's even worse. You know, so it's just like, oh my gosh, this is this is real. This is happening. So. I just realized because the baby didn't flinch, it didn't cry, nothing, right? Mm. That I was just pushing in on the chest of a lifeless baby, right? And um, I felt like I was the only chance, that was this baby's only chance of survival at that point. Um, I didn't even know the kid, the parents weren't there, there was nobody there but us. I felt like bad for the baby, I felt bad for the parents. Like they didn't know that I was trying to save their baby's life. Did they even know had they been called yet? We had no idea what was going on. And so, um, you know, if I didn't do what I was doing, then I felt like it was my choice to stop, or it was going to be my decision that they were going to have to live with that they don't have their child anymore. Like I felt that responsible. Does that make any sense? Mm -hmm. Like I felt like. I'm the one in here doing this. You know, the moment that I stop or the moment that I quit, like, it's it's all my fault. You know, I felt like that responsible. So I had to save it. <clears throat> Didn't want to stop CPR and the chance of survival in this life. Like, I will kill this baby. Even though the baby was already deceased, I felt like I was, again, going to kill this baby if I stopped. I had that much responsibility for it. And then the doctor said, stop CPR. So I can remember we stopped CPR. We've been giving medications and stuff to the IO. And, you know, we switched roles a few times. Somebody was to take over. Then I'd take back over again or whatever. But when he had stopped, we, they checked for pulses, and the baby had no pulse. And I remember the doctor's like, guys, you know, we've all done what we can do. 
me, everybody, anybody disagree. Like we've we've done everything, and those do. Time of death, whatever, right? And that was really hard for me. So I, I stood back against a blanket warmer that was in the room. I remember feeling the heat off the blanket warmer in that glass. Like I, I don't know why, but I, I can remember feeling the heat off that, and I was just like staring at this big bed with a little baby on it, this big almost empty bed. And I thought, I don't want to stop. Let's give it another shot. I want to try one more time. You know, this is not right. Like these parents aren't even here. This baby can't die by itself. This is not cool. Let's just kind of keep this going. The baby don't deserve it. The parents don't deserve it. Like we gotta keep going. So. I feel like, again, it was, it was my fault if I didn't try to do something else. So everybody agreed, and everybody walked out of the room. But me and a fellow nurse and the charge nurses in there, like the house supervisor at the hospital. So I was sitting there staring at this lonely little dead baby on this big stretcher. And then the, the charge nurse came over and said, um, can you clean the baby up and wrap it in warm blankets? I need you to keep the body warm for Mama. And dude, that just did it. And I was like, what? Like, my role is to save this kid's life. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I want to be done now because we've decided, like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I just want to go somewhere else. Right? And they're like, no, I need you to keep the, the, the body, the baby bodies warm for mama. And so I was like, Man, this is jacked up. So this kid's laying there all by itself now, you know? And so I go over and I get some washcloths and stuff and corner came in or whatever i can't remember anyway we were allowed to take out some of the tubes and stuff and i'm wiping this baby down and getting it all cleaned up and getting the blood off of it and everything and like i changed the sheets on the bed and i changed the we cleaned the floor up get all the equipment that we were using and get, trying to get it all out of sight because we didn't want the parents to uh, imagine i guess that there was the process of what it took place you know you don't want to have, have them trying to visualize what just happened right so I got the room cleaned up and got the baby cleaned up and new sheets on the bed and all this. And it was just the fact of like picking up this uh, baby and it's just limp, you know, it's just drooping. And again, like we talked in the last podcast, I'm supporting the head. I'm treating it like it's still alive because it deserves that respect. Right. And I'm trying to respect it. And it's like just flopped, you know, the arms are hanging. And, I mean, it sucks. So we had a bunch of the, the, again, that blanket warmer I was leaned up against, you know. So I go to grab his warm blankets, and I wrap this baby up. And I kept thinking about, like in the Bible, about wrapped him in swaddling clothes and stuff. You know, I, get, I just kept in my mind for some reason. I kept thinking about that. But anyway, I wrapped the baby up, and I wrapped the head up and everything. And all you could see was his face. But this is where it's kind of weird because I can't remember the face. I can't. I cannot recall what the baby looked like. I remember... The arms, the chest, the legs, the feet. I can't remember the face. I have no idea why. I stared at the face a thousand times. I cleaned the face. That's the only thing that was left showing. But my mind's blocked out this face. Okay? And so I wrapped it up, and uh, mom and dad came in after, the, you know, they talked to him and told him that we did all we could do. And, like, the hardest thing that I had to do was hand this baby over because I didn't want them to feel it, you know, the pain. And I was like, ah. I felt like I was giving them the hurt. Like I was like, I'm the one that stopped CPR. I'm sorry. You know, even though it, it wasn't my fault, I felt like it. You know, so I was like, I'm sorry. And I handed them their baby, and they just like turned around and went in the far corner of the room and like kneeled down out of just instinct. They didn't want to see anybody. They just turned and went in the corner together and kneeled down. 
Of course, the mom was sobbing, and like the dad just wailed and just like lost it. And I'm sitting there, and I step back against that warmer again. I was sitting with this nurse, and man, it just it hit both of us like a ton of bricks, man. I'm just sitting there looking, and I'm like, what the hell just happened? Like, this ain't supposed to happen. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not real sure. We both kind of lost it, and like, I couldn't be stronger any longer. I felt like I'd failed. I felt like I had quit when I wasn't supposed to. Like, we tried to offer him stuff to comfort him that was just worthless. Like, do you want a chair? Yeah, how about some water? I don't know what else to do. Do you want a blanket? Do you want a Sprite? Like, I didn't know what to do. You know, but you want to give comfort. You don't be like, sorry, we failed. Here's your dead baby. You know, and they just wanted their baby back. That's all they wanted. And I felt just awful. I just wanted to get out of there and leave. And here's where it really kind of got me, because I step outside the room, me and my fellow nurse, and the house supervisor, charge nurse, comes by, and she was like, y'all okay? Do you need to talk? Need to do whatever? And I can just remember, like, no. She's like, well, I said, no, I don't want to talk. And this is, I'm a brand-new nurse. You know, I'm like, no. She's like, okay. And I was like, I just wanted to scream. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I wanted to hug the parents and just apologize. I didn't want to interrupt their time. And I was just like, didn't know what to do. So I told her, she's like, well, why? I said, because I've got more patients waiting on me. I still had a job to do. I still had to go finish and more people waiting on me. And one of those patients that went over was pissed off because I took too long to get them a warm blanket. And I thought, you POS. You know what I'm saying? Like, what career did I just choose to get into? Right. Legit, they fussed at me because I took too long to get them a warm blanket. Right. And I just wrapped up a dead baby in a warm blanket so the body would be warm so mama could feel her, not feel a cold baby. You know, I thought about that. I was like, what will that mom... When she said do that, you know, I thought, what will that mom experience right now? Is her baby going to be, obviously it's going to be lifeless, but is it going to be cold? Because you'd want to touch your child, you know? Like, how do you do that? How do you just, yeah, I can't let her touch a cold baby. You know what I'm saying? Like your cold child. So that jacked me up. And to this day, it still messes me up because... Every single day, whenever I leave this house, I go to my son, who's two years old, who's asleep, and I have to lay my hand on his chest to see if it's rising and falling. I cannot leave this home when he's asleep if I do not know that he is breathing. I have lost my temper, I don't know how many times, by seeing seeing somebody give my child or another kid food that may not be chopped up small enough. Because apparently, I think the grandparent or something maybe gave the child something to eat, laid them to bed, and then they found it could have been seeds. Maybe they didn't even choke. I don't know. I don't, nobody knew. You know, so it's just like, I, I'm just scarred from it. Like, I can't, I can't handle it. Now, if I get a pediatric call, if I get whatever, like, all this crap plays with my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel you, man. It's, you know, when I get up, because I have to leave pretty early to go to Louisville, you know, because we live 90 miles from there, but... I mean, there's several times where, you know, you just creep in a room and, yeah, you know. That's what, that's what new mothers do when, when they're laying there at night 
just because they've got these whole all these emotions and everything you know being a brand new mom is hard especially if it's your first baby and i remember night after night uh actually suffered from really really severe postpartum depression so i learned afterwards that that wasn't normal but i would lay there and i would watch my child breathe and even though i sat there and i watched her breathing i was like okay i can't stop watching her like I have to make sure right, that everything's yeah. okay. Yeah. And and you're saying the repercussions of that now is you get mad if they don't cut the food up enough, you know, you mm-hmm. your your reaction is anger right. when it's actually fear. Most of what we no, do true, yeah. is is fear driven, but it gets translated to mostly anger because what you, we know the process. We, yeah, we know the process. We know what happens the minute that that hot dog gets lodged in the airway. Right. We know what it takes to get that out. We know what to do if it doesn't. We're going to have to cut a hole in this kid's neck. Right. Stick a tube in it. They might be awake. We don't know. Probably not. I think the rule is you wait till they go unconscious. But we're going to have to dig that out. We're going to feel the, the ribs break when you do the first set of compressions mm-hmm. on, on a infant or two-year-old. And for the people that have never done that, that have never felt ribs crack underneath your hands because of something you're doing, then it probably seems minute to cut that hot dog up. Yeah. But that that sends me back every single time. Like I did it yesterday. I was chopping up pickles. My son loves to eat pickles, right? And dude, he's two years old and I've got the thing sliced up like he's you know, ain't got a tooth in his head. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like I can't. Yeah. I get a piece of soft banana and I'm like giving these little bitty pieces of it and I'm like dude you gotta chill out <laughs> um, I'm the same way man I can't my, handle it though man to my think, son. Like, I don't want to relive that experience exactly. I don't, don't want to personally I mean we we relive it but I don't want it's like I don't want my wife and my my other family to have to go through what I know you would have to go through mm-hmm. we relive that whether you know it or not I mean a piece of you went with that baby period absolutely you know did. But yeah, my son takes a big bite of food, and I'm I'm like I'm yell. First off, I yell at him like, "Chew that up now! You chew it up good." Sometimes I make him spit it out, but then I watch him like a hawk. Like I want to see yeah. it go down yeah, right. and make sure that it, you know. I did too. Yeah, man. I think I think you've seen enough, you know, dead choking victims, especially kids. Yeah, that's all you can do. That's awful. You know, like this doesn't really tie in with the story, but I do want to tell this is like. Because I hope that I can relate to the people out there. Like, this is not to get sympathy. It's not to get attention. It's to let you know. When I realized I had a problem, and this is horrible for me to even say publicly. I hadn't even told you all, I don't think. But, like, I knew that I was jacked up when I was sitting at a nice, awesome steak dinner at a fancy restaurant in downtown Louisville across the table from my wife. I had a suit on. She was dressed up, I mean, to the hilt, man, just beautiful. And I was sitting there, and we got to talking about stuff. We got to talking about conflict and stuff and, like, how we manage certain things. She was like, you know, you can just, like, you, you, want, you want to get away from that situation. Like, she wants to argue. I'll walk away. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just don't want to talk about it. I can't stand that tension, right? And I looked at her straight in the face, and I said, I can walk away from you right now and never think twice about it. Yeah, I'd miss you, but I'd be all right stone cold and she looked at me and tear came up in her eyes and I was like what is wrong with me 
Like I really felt that way. You know right. what I'm saying? Like because I talked to so I ended up getting getting counseling, right? So I'm like, I don't want to be like this. And this person was talking. She was like, she she was a counselor, never realized that we, I don't like calling it PTSD. Right. There is places for PTSD, but for frontline re- responders that do it all the time, it's recurrent traumatic stress adaptation. That's all it is. Right. It's not post. It's recurrent traumatic stress adaptation. And when you constantly are in, engaged in that environment, you have to separate yourself from humanity. You have to. Like a, a person comes in, I'm not taking care of like uh, somebody with feelings, you know, or right. a soul, as cold as that sounds. I'm taking care of a skeleton and muscles and tendons and ligaments and brains and, you know what I'm saying, like yeah. eyes and like this. I'm taking care of all this stuff. Factual, I, I factual just, stuff, yeah. stuff with numbers, yeah. stuff that you know you can manipulate. Yeah. I've got to fix this part because I'm good at it. Right. right. So you start detaching so you don't get emotional because as soon as you get emotional, you start You're slowing done. down. Your thought process is slow. Yes. You don't think clear. You can't right. act like you need to act. So you detach from humanity. So when you come home and you've dealt with all this stuff all day long. And then your significant other is like, oh, by the way, did you realize you left your coffee cup on the bar this morning and didn't put it in the dishwasher? Right. I'm tired of cleaning this house all day and picking up after you. Not saying my wife does that. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what I'm saying? But just like, that's just a common thing. Or like, hey, you know, why did you not put your sock inside the hamper instead of beside it? Right. You know, and it's just kind of like. Why aren't you, why aren't you talking to me? Yeah. That's my favorite. Like, yeah, you know, there's, there's. And, And it's like, as soon as you feel that conflict, what do you do? You go back to your adaptation mode from work. Separation. Right. Right. You know what I'm saying? Separation, separation. So over time, I've learned, like, if somebody's going to give me a conflict, I can just, I'm cut it off and I'm done. Right. You know, and you've called me out on that before. Mm. You know, on stuff, he's like, man, you can't be that way. You know what I'm saying? But, like, I don't want to be that way. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't. Well, I think, you know, what you said in that very story is part of the reason why, you know, we get done our day is not over like it's the fight's not over we 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 get done with that code we walk out of that room and we walk into the snotty nose 30 year old coke addict Mm -hmm. that's demanding a pepsi and we have to immediately flip the switch put that in the back of our mind bury it flip the switch get back to professional mode get this guy a coke so that our patient satisfaction scores aren't low yeah Politics. So that everybody gets paid. Mm-hmm. And I can't think about what just happened yeah. till probably ever, honestly, because at the end of that 12-hour shift, if this happened early in your shift, at the end of that 12-hour shift, you've seen 12, 13, 15 more people that you've had to act like a human being to and fix their problem, which pales in comparison to that baby who died. Right. It's not even cl- It's not even on the same it's not even the same world as what's going on with that kid right. that you couldn't save, but you're doing what you can because that's what you do as a professional. Then by the end of the day, you just don't want to think about anything. Yeah. You just want to get the heck out of Dodge. Yeah. I think that's why we're so angry with with just everyday life stuff. Like we get inconvenienced in any little way, and there's if I'm having a bad day, I just I lose it, especially on the road. I've got issues yeah. with the road, but like car, car, <laughs> I've got issues with driving. Yeah. But if like a car cuts me off or if they're going too slow or if they do something stupid, I, I flip You're the reason right people get killed out here. I flip right. right to anger yeah. because yeah, I go saying. right back to those reasons. It's idiots it's, like you that don't know how to drive that kill yes. people that I got to take care of. Or people complaining about stupid stuff. And I'm like, man, you know, it could be so much worse. There's dead people, you know, 
Your life is not as bad as it could be. And I have to keep myself in check. When I find myself complaining about those things, I have to put myself back and like, hey, it could be worse. You've seen worse. You've dealt with worse. This is this is okay. So I remember one dad's heading to work at the at the ER, man, and this guy was trying to run me off the road. Like he was it was a double passing lane, so I pulled out the pass, he'd speed up. So I'd slow down so he could go on and he'd slow down. Like he wouldn't there's a car coming. So I was like, I'm gonna get hit head on. Right. So finally I just had to kinda of like lock it up and get enough behind him. And then he kept slamming his brakes on. I'm like, What is going on here? So I flashed I lost it, man. I flashed the dude and pulled him over. And I pulled my car up to where he couldn't get his door open. And I won't tell you the <laughs> the whole story of events, but I went, I lost it. And I said, people in the back of his car back there, I said, it's blank, blank, blank like you. They get those people killed that come into my ER that I got to take care of. Right. Have some respect for human beings. Quit being this way. You know, quit doing what you're doing. And you're right. You just go to anger. You're just like, I've had it. I've had it. You know? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's my story. It's kind of rough. I'm sorry about that. But anyway, it is what it is. So, again, we tell these stories so you all can relate to us and see what we go through every day. You can have a new respect for the people on your front line, your nurses, your doctors, dispatch, law enforcement, military, whatever. Because we don't get a chance to shut this stuff off. It goes all day. And so there is help out there. Like I found a counselor. It really helped me. I encourage you all to do the same. There's a couple numbers I want to give you. If you're needing you reaching out, if you're a first responder that needs some help, um, there's a – I want to start with this one here, probably. Thin Line Counseling and Consulting. This is a guy that our local fire department's uh, connected with. Suppose this guy is just the man. Like, he has been there on the front line, and he totally gets it. So it's Dr. Trevor Wilkins with Thin Line Counseling, and the number is 1-800-464-1958. 1-800-464-1958. And then if you uh, can also get all the Kentucky Community Crisis Response Board, and it's a 24-hour support at 888 522-7228-888-522-7228. So there's some, a couple contacts for you guys on the front line that need some support. And um, if you need something at all, you know, let us know. We can try to reach out and get some contacts for you. But those are your two main ones right now. Try to get a hold of those guys if you can. Any questions, guys? All right. appreciate it. There's going to be more coming up. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you on the next podcast. This has been a production of Five Stone and River Right Productions. Guys, I want to thank you so much for your support and time. And I ask that you to check out our very own gourmet coffee line, Five Stone Frontline Coffee. Guys, we take part of these profits and give it right back to the front line. That's what we're about here at Five Stone. We want to support those people who support us every single day. It helps to continue our missions on the front line here at Five Stone. And it helps to give back to the families of the fallen heroes that have served and sacrificed everything for you and for me. So when you have a cup of Five Stone coffee, You're not only having gourmet coffee, you're giving back. You're joining the mission and you're helping us to serve other people. So by getting our classes, getting our materials, getting our frontline coffee, you're joining our mission. And we cannot thank you enough for your support in this. Guys, check us out at 5stoneusa.com. That's the number 5, 5stoneusa.com. That's where we're at, guys. The information we give you on this podcast is for informational purposes. If you need good in-person training, guys, reach out to us. We can come to you and help you with your needs. Guys, don't forget, prepare, respond, and serve, because someday you will be somebody's first responder. Your time is coming. Will you be ready to answer the call? If not, Five Stones here to help you become prepared to respond and serve. Thank you so much, guys. God bless each and every one of you. Train hard to be ready.